Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock, our redeemer, our Christ. Amen. Well, again, I'd like to wish you Happy New Year. This is, after all, in the Christian year, the day that begins the season of Advent, and this is a, the way of beginning that in and of itself is quite significant. You might think that this year would begin with the trumpets of Easter or the softness of Christmas Eve or the fires of Pentecost, but instead we begin in the shadows, the shadows of lament. We acknowledge before God our despair, our warring, our sorrow, our hate. For, listen, it is precisely there that the God of grace will arrive and meet us. It is precisely there that God's church is called to light candles of hope and peace and joy and love. All of that light lit against the shadows. And it's worth remembering this as the Christian New Year begins. Because in the Northern Hemisphere, the days now are growing shorter and shorter and the nights longer and, and we enter that darkness waiting. But we also enter it singing and praying for the light to come. Now listen, as I poured over the readings for the first Sunday of Advent, the ones assigned by those who created the lectionary, the assigned readings for each Sunday, I wrestled with how to make sense of them as we enter into this season of Advent and let us confess that many people have already gotten to Christmas. I mean, the, the four readings are not easy ones. The first is a song of Isaiah about being clay to God's potter. The psalm of lament that we just heard Reverend Coley read. The words from Paul to the church at Corinth reminding us that we don't lack any spiritual gifts. And, of course the text from the Gospel according to Mark, an apocalyptic warning to keep awake. I mean, none of those sounded good for a first Sunday of Advent to be. And of course, you know the cartoon that goes with the Mark Gospel. Keep awake, God's coming and she's not happy. Well, I, I just have to thank the many scholars and biblical writers that I read this week trying to figure out what to preach on and then how to preach it. I mean, people like um, Matthew Myers Bolton and Lauren Winter, who, who have greatly informed the sermon I'm preaching today. So why did I choose the psalm? In late April of this year, after we had been quarantined 
for a month, almost two. After we had thought at the beginning, the end of February and beginning of March, that surely we would be worshiping again together in person on Easter Sunday, I set in on a webinar with Reverend Tracy Blackman, who is our United Church of Christ Executive Minister for Justice and Local Churches. It was a great seminar, and, and she said, now I know at some point we're all going to come back to worship together in person, and that will be an Easter Sunday for us, but before we ever have Easter Sunday, we had better well lament because we have lost so much and we haven't been allowed to lament. We haven't grieved the deaths other than to see the numbers scroll up in the corner of the 24-hour news cycle. We've not been allowed to grieve to lament all that we have lost. And she said, before we ever step into the Easter Sunday, we best lament. You know, uh, psychologists tell us that until we can fully grieve, we cannot move on. And I think that's what Tracy was saying and reminding us about. And I want to remind you a few other things about Advent. You know, we have this thing called anamnesis, that happens in this season. You know, we all know that the baby born in the manger on Christmas night is going to be the Christ child, the one who will redeem Israel and redeem all of us. We already know that he will grow into a man. We know that he will teach and heal and do miracles and for his commitment to justice for all people, he will be executed by the state and religious authorities. And we know already of the resurrection and the coming of Jesus to the church at Pentecost. So we already know, but then we act like we're, we don't know and we're doing it again, right? That's what Anna anamnesis is. We already know the end of the story, but we're going to almost pretend as if we're hearing it again for the first time. And that's what happens at Advent. Uh, Richard Rohr talks about these two worlds we live within. The one of already, but not yet. The one in which we imagine what has already happened and imagine what will be Richard Rohr writes this, the virtue for living in the in-between times, Jesus calls faith. Jesus is talking about the grace and the freedom to live God's dream for the world now, while not rejecting the world as it is. That's a big tension that we live with today. He goes on and says there are always two worlds. The world as it is usually operating on power, ego, and success, and the world as it could be operating out of love. One is founded on a dominating power, and the other is a continual call to right relationship and reciprocal power. The secret of this kingdom 
is discovering how we can live in both worlds simultaneously. Last week, as we celebrated the reign of Christ, the last Sunday of the church year, I reminded you that Bernard of Clairvaux, the 12th century abbot and theologian, wrote about three Advents. The Advent of Christmas, the birth of Christ. The Advent of the end of the age, the coming of Christ. And a middle Advent, the everyday presence of Jesus. We live in the tension of all three of those things, don't we? And so, as we prepare for the birth of Jesus this year, in this year, 2020, as we prepare, then maybe we should heed the words of Richard Rohr and Bernard of Clairvaux, Tracy Blackman, and live in this tension between the two worlds of almost but not yet, the world of between power and reciprocating power, all the two different worlds. And maybe we had best lament what we have lost so that we can then move into what is next. Among other things, Psalm 80 speaks of tears. And the church has had an interesting relationship for the last 2,000 plus years about tears. On the one hand, crying has sometimes indicated a mystical enlightenment. But on the other hand, crying has been seen as a scary interruption of the intellect, seemingly uncontrollable. You know both those kinds of tears, don't you? In between those two ways of crying, the people of God lament with tears. In the midst of a growing COVID pandemic and economic crisis, not to mention the continued violent deaths of young black people at the hands of those who have vowed to protect them, it is important, I think, to us, for us at this point in the journey to the manger to forget about the cinnamon rolls and the fruitcake, to go ahead and drink, as the psalmist says, from the bowl of tears. As we did with Thanksgiving Day, we are still trying to decide what to do for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, aren't we? Soldier on and invent new Christmas traditions? Or perhaps ignore Christmas entirely and spend the day watching season three of The Crown and eating Mexican food? Ignore Christmas entirely and drive to Galveston. Ignore Christmas entirely and hole up in front of the fireplace with your beverage of choice. Not on this list do you hear the word lament. But our psalm this morning suggests that perhaps we should at least consider integrating lament into our acknowledgement of Christmas. After all, the birth of Jesus didn't make things exactly easy for his family and followers. By we, 
that we should at least consider integrating women into Christmas. By we, I mean you and me. And by we, I also mean the rest of the church. Since there are not too many people out there in pew or pulpit whose Christmas is not tinged with loss of some kind, with grief or sorrow or bereavement. In fact, I say that as Christmas comes, a slow parade of faces begins to move across my mind. People I have lost this year and in years before. I also can picture you and others. And as faces come to me, whom I know God is calling to my mind, all of us, you and me, carry some sorrow here at the beginning of our Advent journey. A job loss with no other on the horizon. A child tangled up with drugs. A terrifying diagnosis of marriage turned to estrangement. Deep anguish over being single. Another miscarriage. A dying parent. A breakup, another breakup. Chronic physical pain. Incarceration. A house foreclosure. Not enough food. Separation from the kids. And of course, there's COVID. This parade presents itself as first as Evidence. Evidence and claim for the claim that everywhere and always people are sad at Christmas. But what if that parade of sorrow could become a prayer? And what kind of prayer would it be? Because this is what I think the psalmist is all about. The psalmist is all about the prayer of lament and Reverend Tracy Blackman would say that our song of joy is empty without first offering the prayer of lament. And as we edge toward the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, that God with us, God has come to us, God is dwelling here among us and within us, it is worth remembering that God does not only, as Psalm 80 puts it, provoke tears, feeding people with the bread of tears, making them drink tears by the bowlful, God also sheds tears, most famously, in the incarnate Jesus who weeps. But God also cries in the Hebrew Bible. When God remembers the suffering of the Israelites in exile, God weeps and not only sees but feels the anguish of the people. And this is a startling picture, don't you think? One of God's Solidarity with us. I think God's tears offer to us comfort and inspiration. And in the midst of violence and terror and anguish and struggle, we find the Bible, in the Bible and in our own lives, God's tears offer the possibility of not yet. It's not yet over. This story 
is not yet over. In fact, at Advent, we are advocating that this story is just now beginning. Again. So to cry, to lament in this Christmas season might not only be to be faithful in our response to the reality of our lives, to the sorrowful things our lives hold, it might also be a way of entering into God's way of entering into life with us. So what will you do this Advent and Christmas? Will you soldier on and invent new Christmas traditions, even if there's an empty seat at the table? Will you ignore Christmas entirely and spend the day binge-watching the Queen's Gambit and eating Chinese food? Ignore Christmas entirely and drive to Santa Fe? Ignore Christmas entirely and pull the covers over your head? Or perhaps this Advent you will ask the hardest of questions. Where does the Advent and Christmas season hold lament for you? Where and how will you hold on to that lament? And in this season, in this season that is a year of lamenting, what are you proud of? What have you experienced that you are grateful for? What have you learned? then perhaps you and I and all of us will be ready to greet the Christ child this Christmas with songs of joy. Amen.